not very fair. <laughs> I have two young daughters, if you don't know who I am. My name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Connection. I have two young daughters, and birthday parties are always a big deal, right? Who are you going to invite? It's, it's like the anxiety attack of a five-year-old. Who am I going to invite to my birthday party? But I didn't think that was very fair. I saw the last of it. He says, he says not, not anybody that I originally invited is going to taste my supper. Now, this gets pretty deep pretty fast. Um, if you're, if you're uh, new with us this morning, if you're, if you're visiting with us, I want to, uh, or you're listening online, I want to take uh, some time. You can open up your worship hand out to the middle if you, can, if you want to read. Now remember, I'm preaching right now, so read this later. But here's a Touch Someone's Life gift, gift testimony. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is on the fourth week of every month, Connection takes a Touch Someone's Life gift offering. And literally, we ask for dimes and nickels and just change and just spare money that you may have. And if you don't have any, you don't have any. Um, that's fine. It's not for anybody that's visiting with us. It's for our members. And what we do with these bags, we, have, we put them in popcorn bags. And this is kind of a running joke. We put them in popcorn bags because we have a lot of popcorn bags because we have popcorn. But anyway, we do, we do that. We put, we put the money in a sack. And we divide it up into a couple usually um, or one, whatever is the case. And we hand them out in our community. I'll pick a couple people. Um, and this is where some of you get really nervous. Oh, I wonder if he's going to pick me. I wonder if he's going to pick me. If I don't choose you, and you want to, come and find me later. Uh, we're trying to get everybody a turn before we have to start repeating people. But um, Connection has given away over $15,000 in the last couple of years doing this. Um, and it's just an opportunity for us to give back, to show people that we love them. Um, actually, it was really cool. I think it was last summer uh, that there was a person that was handed a bag. And it was really wild how the world of Facebook works and who's connected to who. Uh, and that person posted immediately, and they were one of my friends. And I thought, wow, that's a cool church. Wait a minute, that's us. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, if I have my ushers, I have the people that are going to do that. You guys want to go ahead and take that? And what, something else that we want to do here, and this is going to make you feel really, really, really uncomfortable. But if you're sitting here today and you need, you need like 10 or 20 bucks... And you need five bucks. If that bag goes by you, this is, what we want to, this is what we want to tell you to do. You have the complete freedom to take what you need out of that bag. This money is God's. We're giving it to God. We're giving it to minister to people. If, if you see that, then it comes by you and you have a need, you please take that. That's, that's, let us help you this morning. So as they do that, I want to, I want to share some exciting stuff from my week with you. Um, th- this morning... Uh, we are actually going to wrap up uh, a summer-long venture. Through we've been, we, couldn't, we couldn't possibly get to all of them in a summer, but we've looked at a, a pretty big majority of some of the, of the parables that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. Uh, if you remember, we talked about the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. Um, we talked about how intelligent a sheep was, or maybe not so much. Um, and we talked about all these parables over the summer, and I hope, you, I hope that you, you've learned a lot because I have. I really have. They're, they were they're just some stories maybe you heard as a kid, uh, but they really have that deep, deep context. This morning is by far the most important. And he tells, Jesus tells parables about different things, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven. But here is the big one. There's room for more. If you saw it on the sign or you see it here for the very first time, there's room for more. Today, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, and he talks about the parable of the great feast, the great banquet. Uh, My mom and dad growing up, they still have to this day, I think, have a picture in their kitchen. And it's it's a picture of a never-ending table. And it's one of the coolest things. It was confusing to me when I was little. I go, the table doesn't stop. 
Where does it stop? I'm, like you, you pick out a picture and you like tilt it to see if you can see the end of it. And there's no end. And there's no end. In the parable of the great feast, Jesus talks about, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning, but I want to share something with you that Connection uh, got to do. Um, if, you, if you will, we've, we've added a couple things this week. I know there's roadblocks off, or there, there's roadblockers over here, um, but th- those are going to be uh, brand new handicap spaces for anybody that needs and requires that at Connection. Um, they'll be all striped and all ready to go next Sunday, but they just ask that we just keep our vehicles off of it today. Um, so we have some things uh, that are going on, but uh, Friday morning, anybody have me as a friend on Facebook? Or Colton or some other guys that were here? You see the group of people that was in our church? They make me look very, very small. There's one, I, I swear to you, we, we prayed up here and we, we blessed the food and we ate back in the Kids Rock area. And as we were all walking down the hallway, I was kind of towards the rear of the line and I looked up and I was like looking uphill at heads. These guys are big football players from Mount Vernon. Uh, and we had, them, we had them out to our church and we fed them breakfast. So I, I thought it, I needed to give you a rundown on what they, they can smash some food. Wow. Two gallons of gravy with 80 biscuits. Oh, I'm just getting started. We had, I think, two pans of cheesy potatoes, three egg casseroles. And I'm not talking like these are like pans. These are pans. Two pans of homemade cinnamon rolls, two great big bowls of fruit, juice, milk, coffee. We had plenty of people that were here to help serve. And, and I have a friend, and, and he's not here this morning, but he, he wouldn't mind me saying this. And he said, now listen. He said, I want to help with this breakfast, but I want to bring something manly. And I don't want to bring an egg casserole. And I said, well, what do you want to bring? He goes, I want to bring some meat. <laughs> okay. So he comes in the door that morning with 11 pounds of sausage links. Praise the Lord for pigs. They were so good. It was so good. But we fed 45 athletes and coaches this morning from, a, from our town varsity football game. A football team. We fed them. Now, we'll tell you something else. Yes, they can smash some food, but when you feed them, they will listen to you. Now, watch this. 11 pounds of sausage links doesn't go very far with 45 huge dudes. But what it does and what it did for us is it helped me and helped our people show and me to speak, to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ that some of them may have never heard. Because we served in breakfast. That's it. We just chose to, to be able to do this. We, we were offered that opportunity. We took it. Um, we gave them some, some bracelets while they were here. Uh, in Jesus' name I play. Hey, pretty punny, huh? So, um, that's compliments of, uh, of our church. We gave that to them. Um, it was really awesome because some of the coaching staff, whenever I was praying for the food, um, if you've ever prayed and been really encouraged by somebody standing by you when they're agreeing with you in prayer, it's really fun. It's really awesome because you can, you just feel God's presence. And I was standing right beside one of their coaches and I was saying something about these men hoping that when they looked down at this bracelet they would be encouraged to have a relationship with Christ. And this guy is sitting over here, he's praying with me. He's like, yeah, yes, yes. That's awesome because not only do we have a great school, we have Christian men leading those young men. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. So pray for them. Um, Pray for them as they, they start their season. Uh, unfortunately, on the second play, there was a pretty rough injury that I was there on Friday night. And uh, so just pray for that young man. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. 
talk to, to, the, to the high school football players about the platform that God had given them to play in Jesus' name I play. Okay? To play for Him. I thought one of the most unbelievable things that I saw in the Olympics was the playing of the Star Spangled Banner and someone from another country who happens to be the undisputed fastest person in the history of the world stops his interview and says, are you done? Because the Star Spangled Banner is playing. And he turns and does this to our flag. Now what they didn't show you about Usain Bolt is this. The media only gives certain things that they, that they want to give and, and by all means they probably try to stuff down God's name and all of this. It still came out with the swimmers in the pool. Uh, it came out with the, the, the divers. They said our identity is, is found in Christ. When we talk to Usain Bolt, you can YouTube these videos. YouTube about Usain Bolt's faith. He's a, a dynamic follower of Christ. But that's not what you saw. You just saw this flash of person go by your screen when you watched him run. But he was, he's, he was given a platform. He was given a platform to speak about his faith and what God had done. I talked to these football guys about Kurt Warner. And he was asked a question one time, and he said, Kurt, do you think God loves football? Now, this is 2000, 2001. They're called the greatest show on turf in the St. Louis Rams football. And he said, you know what? I know that God loves me, and my passion and my ability and what I have excelled in is football. So if that's my passion and I do it to serve God, I, I absolutely believe that God loves football. But it was the, it was, it's the stage. I talked to them. I said, you have young men that wear their jerseys just in hopes of one day putting on that varsity jersey and helmet and walking out. Running out on Friday night in front of the whole town. I said, but if you lose, you can praise and be a worshiper of Christ. And if you win, you can do the same thing. It's about the platform that God's given you. And believe it or not, the Pharisees actually gave Jesus quite a few platforms to preach on. We see here in Luke chapter 14, as we begin in verse 1, I really want you to check this out. I found some really cool things out studying this week. And watch this. Jesus and the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye. Okay? Not at all on most things. He didn't come to abolish everything they did. He came to change everything that they did. Add to what they were doing. So, they disagreed on many occasions, but watch this. Just because they disagreed doesn't mean that Jesus didn't hang out with them. This is, this is a big example for us. This is a big time issue. Just because Jesus didn't believe all the things that they did, just because they had disagreements, didn't mean that He did not associate with them. He associated with them not to become like them, but to show a godly example to them of how God was changing its people in the message of the Bible. He didn't hang out with them to become one. He, came, he hung out with them to influence them. So if you, if you look on the screen, we're going to read the first... I'm going to read, I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to go through the first, uh, the first several verses, and I'm going to kind of explain that we're going to really hit on, on 15 through 24. But check out verse 1 on the screen or on your phone or, or whatever you have for your Bible. It says this in verse 1, One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees. This is not just the Pharisee. This is a leader of the leaders. Okay, this is an up and up guy. And it says this, and there were people who were watching him closely. You ever somebody watch you closely? Your parents ever tell you to, walk, to clean your room and they walk around the corner and they come back around the corner like this? You ever seen that? You ever have to watch your kids closely? Don't nudge them, don't elbow them. Okay? You ever have to do something closely? This means almost he's put under a microscope. 
Everything that he said, everything that he did was watched closely because if he slipped up, that's one thing for you and I to go through life and just mess up all the time. It is a completely another ballgame for Jesus Christ being the human man, man God, son of God here on earth, claiming that he's perfect. And there's just people that are just set up to watch him, to see what he does, how he breaks the law, if he breaks the law, what's going to happen. So he's watched closely. Would anybody volunteer for this? You wouldn't have people following you. This is, that word closely, I'm like, mm, man, that's tough. That's hard. Look at verse 2. There was a man whose arms and legs were swollen. Now, if you have a different translation than the New Living Transla- Translation, it might even say what that's called. It's called dropsy. Theological people think it's almost certain of what this guy has. Um, the, the, this disease, and this is, this is big time important, this disease would make you swell. Okay, Your arms would swell, your fingers would swell, your face would swell. Uh, like a, basically like a giant bruise or like you're retaining a whole lot of water and you would just swell. Painful. But it also affects your appearance. This is a big deal. We're going to get in a second. But it affects your appearance. This man... Based on the scripture around it, it's probably a person that's been invited to the house completely on purpose. This isn't a Pharisee. And we're going to see in a little bit that this is esteemed company. This isn't just, hey, let's just invite everybody in here. This is, this is, a, this is an invite-only party. RSVP to me, and only if you got an invitation, that's it. But there's this one guy that's just sitting in there, and he has a disease. You know what I think he is? I think he's bait. And they're fishing. They're actually fishing for the Son of God. <laughs> they're getting ready to catch Him. <laughs> but Jesus is a really smart fish. <laughs> okay, so watch this. Look at verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in religious law. Hello. I just... Wow. <laughs> So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? (laughs) The Sabbath was holy. The Sabbath you were not to work. This was a law. So this is what he said. There is no possible way to answer this question. You ever been asked one of these questions? Theoretically, Jesus asks a question just because he wants to just see him squirm, I think, sometimes. There's no way that he doesn't have a sense of humor. Just in how he asks questions. But he says here, he goes, he says, Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? Look at verse 4. This is how hard it is to answer. Look at verse 4. Look in your Bible on the screen. When they refuse to answer, you know why they refuse to answer? Because there isn't an answer. These were smart guys. See, because, because, here, watch. When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Okay. They couldn't answer his question. So Jesus is just sitting there waiting. I mean, he asked him, he says, is it, is it legal for me to heal somebody on the Sabbath? And he just sits there and they don't talk. So evidently silence is, um, it's, is, a, is an answer for, okay, go ahead and do it. Uh, so he just does. Now, we realize that you have to realize that Jesus never sinned, so this is not a sin. He's not going against a a law here. What he's doing is he's explaining the difference in how God is changing his relationship with people. He's now provided a man. So Jesus, 
Look at it. I love this. When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. There's far more in this verse than you see just reading it. And it goes along with what I just talked about. There's no hocus pocus. There's not. This is, this is awesome. We're talking about the Son of God. If you want to talk about all time, ultimate, possessive power, this is it. To some things we see in the Bible, He speaks it. He literally tells Lazarus to come. He doesn't touch Lazarus. He says, come on out, bro. Not in those terms. That's Matt Griswold translation. But he says, come on out, man. And he walks out. Here, Jesus physically touches the man. Now what? We talked about this disease. Just think about that. This guy's a swollen up person. Okay? He's healed. As in like, not the same. This is exciting. It's exciting because, because we can see the power. The power of what God, of Jesus did. And then he says, that, look at this. He healed him. He, just, he touched him because he's Jesus. He's healed. He healed him. And then he sent him away. This is why I don't think the guy was in... I think this was a guy was just invited to be bait. Jesus obviously knew that he was there for a purpose. So after he was done with his purpose, he said, Okay, you, you can go now. <laughs> the, remember, he's in the home of a Pharisee. If Jesus touched him and healed him physically and he, and he healed him spiritually, he's probably going to go hang out with some Christian brothers, right? Hmm. In verse 5, Jesus turns the tables on him. Now, notice he doesn't give him a whole lot of... There's not a whole lot of just... Jesus saying, hey, what do you think? He says, okay, if you're just not going to talk, then I will. <laughs> okay? Look at verse 5. Then he turned to them and said, He has just healed a person who probably physically changed in front of their eyes. I don't know. <laughs> okay? He was healed spiritually. He was healed physically. But in verse 5, he says, Then he turned to them and said... Remember how they couldn't answer this question? Now watch this. He says, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? And he's just looking around. No one is... Okay. <laughs> Number one, Jesus scares them to death because they can't do what he can do. They're, they're scared of him by what he says because he can perform, perform the miracles. We see that all over the New Testament. Why, aren't, why can't we do this? How can't we do this? But Jesus says, which one of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? Now... This is their problem. I think that they fully understand who this is, but it's too big of a change for them to follow Christ instead of do what they did. It's a, it's a huge change. We don't like change today. We don't. Unless it's something that we want and we go for. Okay, that's a good change. Okay, that's great. But look at this. He says, If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out. Jesus is the greatest question asker in the world. Because he, he's sitting here and he's saying, he said, okay, which one of you guys don't work on the Sabbath? No one answered. Shocker. You know why? Because they'd all committed that crime. And it was against their law. They would give, if they answered that question, they would do absolutely nothing but give Jesus fuel for his argument. And he was right. So look at this. If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't rush out, and you don't rush out to get it. Look at verse 6. Again, shocker. They could not answer now if if your son or if one of these guys they had a child fall into a pit do you think that they would go get him on the sabbath day yes yes 
If they had a cow, now we say, well, why, why? what's a cow a big deal? A cow could be a sacrifice if they're a wealthy person. Could be, could be food, could be milk. These are very, could be a working thing. This is very important. You, you don't just lose a cow. It's not, not okay. So if a cow gets stuck in a mud hole, you're gonna, on the Sabbath, you're going to go get him out. So literally, Jesus just healed someone on the, on the Sabbath that they would consider work. Yet he showed them internally that they aren't as perfect as they think that they are. And whenever you're taught that lesson over and over, at least I have to be taught over and over, maybe you don't. But when God teaches that lesson over and over and over, it's not a fun one. It's not, fun, it's, it's not a fun lesson to learn. Could we, I mean, these guys are literally probably going, wait, wait a minute. If we break our... If we break our laws, then we would just be like everybody else. It's exactly what Jesus was trying to get through their heads. You are like everybody else. You are in desperate need of me, is what he said. In verse 7, look at this. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them some advice. I love it when Jesus gives advice. Because it's usually humorous to me. (laughs) Until I apply it to my life, then it's really not that humorous. I don't really care where I sit at a table. The only thing that, you know, we were, we were not called as late for dinner in my house. Okay? If, you, if you were not there when dinner started, good luck with the leftovers. <laughs> okay? we had, those college kids came over to our house the other night, and I said, has anybody ever been to my house before, our house? And like two or three people put up their hands, and I said, well, you know how this goes. I said, everybody else has a first-time free pass that you get to go first. After the first time, if I say or we say there's food, man, you better go. Okay, people don't wait. But Jesus is giving these people this advice and, and they're looking to sit look, in the places of honor. Now this is why I think it's elite company. This is, this, I don't just say that because I think that. I, th- I say that because look at these people. They're all people that seek that higher place. Now we think, oh, it's just with Pharisees. Be careful because James and John had the same conversation with Jesus and they were disciples. And Jesus turns to them and he said, they said, now, this is not a table. James and John had a discussion and they said, we would both like to sit on your right hand in heaven. Now, this is tough because they, and Jesus told them, he goes, you have no idea what you're asking. They had no idea the payment that Jesus was getting ready to make with his life. They would have never gotten there. But I find it, I find it, I find it wild that we find this in both. So it's not just Pharisees, it's even the disciples. And please... If you're, if, you're, if you're a visitor here, you, you, there's a really good possibility that you're sitting in a church where there's a whole bunch of people in here that are completely messed up, and we know it. I don't, don't, I don't hope that doesn't scare you. But we, we have a sin problem. It's called being human, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. So when Jesus notices this, I think these guys are all uppity up, guys, and they're all like, no, I'm an, I need to sit because I'm blah, 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 or I need to sit here, blah, blah, blah. So Jesus gives them advice. In verse 8, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. Wow. Okay. Now notice he says, notice it says at the end of verse 7 that he gave them this advice. Not one of them asked for it. (laughs) But sometimes that's good, right? We, we, we We need the Holy Spirit to give us advice without us asking because we'll never ask that question. 
We'll never get over that thing unless, unless he, he pushes us, He urges us. But it says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? This would have been a complete shot to their ego. These are the up and ups. They're the religious leaders. They're the awesome people that teach Bible study all over town. And they, and they pray as loud as they can. And they, and they have it all together. But it says, what if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? Wow. More distinguished than a Pharisee. Verse 9. The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you'll be embarrassed. This is pretty good advice. And you, will take, you have to take whatever seat is left at the, at the foot of the table. Now, what Jesus is really pointing out with these Pharisees here is He's saying, listen, all you guys look, at, look for is, is egotistical status. You look, for, you look for big things, things to make noise, things to make yourself look better. And He's saying right here, He said, you should be, you should be humble. Shift, he shifts everything to humility. See, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus because Jesus did not come into this world and reign like King David. That was their big problem with Him. He wasn't a giant guy. He wasn't this six foot four, athletic, ripped up warrior named David, who, by the way, was completely messed up, just like you and me. But God still said he was a man after his own heart. That's where I get hope from. <laughs> That's where I get hope from. And so, and so Jesus is just is giving this huge example here. And he says, humility is exactly like me. Listen, this is the creator. If you read John 1, 1, guess what? Jesus is there with the Holy Spirit and God. The God triune, the triune Trinity has been here forever. The Godhead has been here. I can't explain that. One of my favorite questions that I asked whenever I was a little kid, I still, I still don't know the answer. I'd ask my dad, I said, how long is forever? I'm like 10 billion, million, thousand, hundred years? No. It's still not, it's still not eternity. Now this is a special time because Jesus is going to get ready to talk about eternity. But he said, listen, the humble, the humility. This is a direct reference to his Sermon on the Mount. He says, the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. The meek will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's the humble people. And he said, you have to understand it's humble because that's how I can. He's a carpenter's kid. Oh, we know your dad, Jesus. You're not the son of God. I would have a big time, hard time with this too. I don't know about you, and, and these people get a pretty bad rap, but I would have a big time problem with, you're the, really? No, I like Jesus having a conversation, you know, yeah, I'm God's son. Right. And then Jesus would ask another question because he was really good at it, and he'd go, when's the last time you saw me do anything sinful? Wow. you blow your friend's mind, okay? Look at verse 10. Instead... He's talking about seating. He said, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when the host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is talking about contentment here. Contentment. Being okay. It's not a... Man... If you remember this video, we played it whenever Mike was here, but it's, it's a guy leading worship and it's, it's, this is fake. Okay, do not go home and say, well, I heard a praise and worship song that Matt was singing at church and it was pretty selfish. This is a joke. This is satire. Okay? 
This guy, you know, you, you may have heard this older, older song. It goes, it's all about you. Jesus. Well, this guy makes a parody, and he's talking about self-righteousness. He goes, it's all about me, me, myself, and I. See, we love ourselves. You were born with that. You, we love ourselves. We're selfish, inward people if we're left up to our own account. And I know some of you are like, man, that's pretty harsh words. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Because you are. We are. Jesus is saying, listen, you should be content. Get whatever I give you, you should be completely humbled. And then if somebody asks you to move, this is going to be taking all kinds of different metaphors. It's a story to teach us things. Man. How many times can you look at the ministry of Jesus and see humility, pridelessness? Think about it. This is the king of the Jews. He's the, he's the creator of the universe. And he walks around like a normal human. In, as far as a social class goes, all of, all of us are in a higher social class than Jesus was. Now what? Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> he came because that's how God said He was going to come. He was going to come humble. I, I, love, I love this. On Palm Sunday, when we study that Jesus rides a donkey in Jerusalem, it's a really cool story because it's really fun with the kids and the palm branches and they shake the snot out of those things. You know, they go, ooh, we like palm branches. And they probably said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, you know, here comes the king. The, you know, he's the man. Jesus is the Messiah. And they throw the palm branches down and he walks over him. I love, I love, I love this. The humility that Jesus shows in riding a donkey is gigantic. But I love this promise in the, towards the end of the book. Because Jesus does ride another animal. And it has absolutely nothing to do with humility. The next time Jesus comes back riding a horse, it's going to be an absolute power. Absolute and total power. Not a donkey. Jesus is not riding a donkey again. Okay? He's not riding a donkey. He's going to come back with power and, 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 and victory. And look, at verse, look at verse 11. It says, For those who exalt themselves uh, will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We should embrace what we have and where we are and be thankful. Look at verse 12. Then he turned to his host. Notice in this text. Later on this afternoon, go back and find out how many words the Pharisees actually said in this entire conversation. They're just sitting there going, uh, Do we talk? Do we not talk? Well, this was supposed to be a trap for him. And it's turned into a trap for us. Okay, look at verse 12. They turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. This is, how I, this is why I think it's an elite party. This is because I think that when he said this, there's some people going, because <clears throat> he just said everybody that's around the table. He said, um, excuse me, sir. Do you think how the guts that Jesus has? He's sitting with the leader of the Pharisees. He goes, excuse me. Um, next time you do this, you throw a shindig. Don't invite these people. <laughs> oh, and the rich neighbors, he goes on, he tells them why. Look at the end. He says, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a pet. 
It has nothing to do with anything other than, I'll invite you. It goes back to five-year-olds. Ready? I'll invite you to my birthday party if you invite me to yours. It's exactly what this is. Show the selfishness. Yes, kids are selfish that way. They say, well, I'm mad at you because you didn't invite me. Okay. Okay, but look here. Jesus says the only reward you're going to get back is when, you, is when they just invite you to their party. It's a wash. You don't gain anything. Man, but can you imagine? This is the guy that cleaned his house and got ready for the party. And Jesus says, hey, these people, we shouldn't invite these people anymore. Really? So I'm looking in the scripture, I'm like, this guy's going to blow up. No, Jesus keeps talking. Look at verse 13. He says, instead, can you imagine? He leans over and whispers to the guy, he goes, instead, I'll tell you who you need to invite. And it's none of these people. But look at what he says. He said, invite the poor. You've got to be kidding me. Excuse me. I don't want to invite those people in. It would have been really funny because the guy's social status that was just here that was healed and left is probably one of these people. So Jesus literally used a trick for them, for him, and turned it on them. So he says this. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at verse 14, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Invite the people that need it. And he's saying this. You should associate with the people that need a doctor. And he just showed them that right in front of them at the table. He said, you guys won't listen to me anyway. But this guy will. Because this guy has an issue. This guy, metaphorically, knows that he's not okay. We know that some of us have come to the understanding that we are not okay and we are in desperate, absolute need of a Savior to change our life. Every day, every hour of every day, I need that. I need God's influence in my life. You will never be the loser when you help those that need it. Never. Jesus shares it. Look at verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table uh, with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it would be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Oh, gear shift. Hey, wait a minute. Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. Sometimes preparing a sermon... It's pretty sharp. So some, some of you come to me, well, that was pretty sharp. It's pretty sharp today. Number one, not my fault. That's the Holy Spirit. He does it convicting. I don't. Okay? But what it is, is when I saw this, all, when they all, it's not some, it's all. I do not like, but they all began making excuses because we're all in line together. We all prioritize completely wrong at, some, at, at times. We don't do exactly what God needs us to do. And it's sharp when He points that out. Look at this. They all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. I, maybe this is just my humor. But I'm like, what, is the field not going to be there the next day? It's dirt, bro. 
If you get a rain, it's going to be mud. That's about the only difference. Or if it, if it snows, which it didn't here, it's not going to change. But the prioritizing is different. Look at verse 19. And I've just bought, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. What? You're, you've been invited into a party that would, everybody would like to go to, but you're going to volunteer to go out and work? Who does that? I mean, really? There's a time to work and it's good. There's also a time to be off, right? This guy was apparently off. He said, you know what? I just got some new oxen. I think I'll go try them out. Said no one ever, ever. No one ever says this. He says, please excuse me. Look at verse 20. Another one just said, I just got married so I can't come. Now, some people theologically think, that this was kind of their honeymoon period and they didn't, he didn't want to come. But here's the deal. This is what it means. This man is choosing his family over God. And it's absolutely, biblically wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. But this is what that says. So I'm not sorry. It's God and then prioritize. But your family... Listen, I've, I've done it. I've, I, I've had my, just, my priorities just out of whack. Many of you know the story that I had with my wife Mary, who's teaching right now. And I, and she was above everything. And God got my attention rather quickly. If God's ever gotten your attention rather quickly, you re- tend to remember it. It's often not a non-bumpy ride. And He got my attention very, 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 very carefully and very loudly. Look at verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. He said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and invite the poor. What? This is the elite, elite people. This is where you have to use the silverware that you and I have no idea how to use correctly. This is the big time. This is the kingdom of heaven dinner. This is an eternal, amazing relationship with the Father. But we make excuses. you have any idea what you've missed out on, what I've missed out on? Just because we're selfish and we prioritize wrong. And God says, I really want you to do this. And you go, you know what? Mm. Nah. <laughs> Be very careful telling God, nah. He says, go quickly in the streets and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant had done this. He reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go into the country the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone and everyone to, you find to come so that the house will be full. In verse 24, for none of those I invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Look at your worship handout, the very first blank. I know some of you are like, holy cow, how are we going to get through this? It's okay. Look, the banquet is ready. The table has been set. Come and eat. Jesus, Jesus has, already, has already died on the cross. Here, here's a news flash. You ready? Something that you will not see on the news ever. Jesus will have to go to the cross again. No, He won't. He did it once, and once was completely enough. It was more than enough. The sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ for our sin was completely enough. Over and over again it was enough. But the table is ready. What does this mean? God has invited everybody to partake in this. Look at verse 15. We're going to just jump back real quick. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table, and Jesus had just talked about this, this, this meal, the man sitting at the table with Jesus explained what a blessing it would be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of heaven. 
to show you how smart this guy is with that statement. Watch this. This comes out of the Old Testament. It's, talk, it's talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb, okay? The banquet, the, the, the eternal meal, and it also happens in Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 9. This guy's intelligent. The supper of the Lamb. He's talking about it. In verse 16, Jesus replied with a story. He said, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Look at verse 17. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. Man, this is, <laughs> this is a good party. Was there ever, was there ever a, a party or, or something, uh, maybe somebody's wedding that you like, man, I really want to go to that. This is, this is one of those things. Everybody wants to go to this. It's, it would have been the highlight. Everybody wants to go. Verse 17. says, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. In verse 18, but they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and had to inspect it. Please excuse me. Ground is a material possession and a material excuse. The New Testament isn't relevant. I've, always, I've heard from seafood. The New Testament is really not relevant. Okay, let's just take a stab at 2016 and say that material possessions can be a God in our life. I'm around high school students often. You might have to wear head protection, but you should reach out to one and just grab their phone and walk away. They'll come after you. They'll get like a chicken, all right? And flog you. Give me my phone! But we don't have a problem with material possessions. Now, it's really hard for us to laugh as adults because we, we get, I don't have mine, it's over there, we get, we get, we get in that same cycle. Addiction, we, all have, we can all have stuff. But it's a material possession. Just bought a field. Please excuse me. Will the, will the, uh, I put this in here and I put a smiley face because I thought it was funny. Would the, would the ground still be there tomorrow? Yeah, sure would. <laughs> sure would. Okay, unless you had a sinkhole. Or not very, you know, probably not going to happen. Look at verse 19. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Voluntarily doing something that you normally complain about just to get out of doing something that God asks you to do. This is sharp. Voluntarily going to work. You and I have talked maybe about your work. You say, well, I don't like work. And you often hear me. I said, you get to go to work. Have they ever given you a check that actually bounced? Is their money good? And if so, you get to, you don't have to. I know, but listen. God gives us everything that we need. Not want. Never. He says, he says I'm going to give you everything you want. But we, t- we choose these personal, these personal wants. In verse 20, these personal wants, these, these material things. In verse 20 says, I just got married so I can't come. Do not elbow your spouse. This guy did not say, I can't come because my wife said I can't go. She didn't, he, no. It's not there. He says, I can't come, I just got married. Now what is this? He's choosing his family. This is, the, this is the hard one. This is the hard one. This is a, the same type of context that this man comes to Jesus in the New Testament. He says, I want to be one of your followers. And he said, but my dad just died and I need to go bury my dad and I need to come and then, then I'll follow you. And Jesus says some of the hardest words in the New Testament. He says, let the dead bury their dead. This is his dad. Let the dead bury the dead. You can, excuse me, you come and follow me now. 
These are called hard sayings of Jesus. They're exceptionally difficult. But let me tell you something. God is exceptionally holy and He calls you to live exceptionally holy too. And it often goes completely against our selfish wants. Big time. Big time in my life. Big time. You know what I'm talking about. Voluntarily going to work. I don't get that one. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm just going to go plow field. What? You're going to do manual labor just to get out of doing something? You're going to a party or go plow a field? There's cake probably at the party. This is not a choice, right? Look at your worship handout. Look at, the, look, at this, look at this. Excuses get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. We do not prioritize well at times. I know. Some of you are saying, yes, I do. Okay. Maybe you do. But chances are we mess up prioritizing sometimes. We do not prioritize well at times. It's all about us, what we want, when we're going to go, what we're going to do. We want to do it right now, when we want to do it, right when, and whenever. With who? Look at verse 21. The servant returned and told his masters what they had said. Now, think about, think just how mad you would be if this was your party. So the servant comes and tells the master what they, what they had said. And the master was furious. And he said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus came to his own people. And they denounced him. So where did he go? Did he quit? No. He went to the poor. <laughs> he went to seek the sick people. Seeking the sick people. We talked about that last week. The, the doctors. Jesus was the doctor that the sick people needed. This is us here. We're to go out there. This wasn't just a story for fun. Look at exactly what he tells the servant to do. He says, go. Hello. It's another version of the Great Commission. <laughs> that he says in Matthew 28. So in the, the crippled and the blind and the lame. In verse 22. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for one more. The only thing that I thought of when I, heard, when I read this scripture and studied it is, though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. I've seen that in a long time. But there's always room. God did not design hell for any one person, ever. Do not ever believe that. It's wrong. God created hell for, to be an eternal torment for Satan and his demons. Every person that is in hell is not there Every person that is in hell, that will be in hell, unfortunately, there's going to be people there. It's just the truth of the matter. Jesus talked more about hell than He talks about heaven. It's a real place. But it's full of people that want to do what they want over what God wants them to do. And that's to have a relationship with them. They want to choose their thing right now. Let's do it my way. Frank Sinatra, I talked about last week. Let's do it my way. There's always room for one more person. To start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Always. Look at verse 23. So the master said this. Wow, there's still room. Okay, look at this. Go into the country lanes. Now, this is past the suburbs. This is to us in southern Illinois. This is a good thing. Because this is where you and I are connected, right? 
It says, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. That seems like he's saying it very, very sharply. But what he's saying is, because of their choices and if they continue to choose that way and not choose me, they will never taste of the banquet or they will never taste an eternity in heaven. This is sharp, people. It's very, very, very sharp. He was not pulling punches. Jesus did not box metaphorically with gloves on. No way. He said it how it is, and that's it. Very straight. So, does it look, does it look sharp? Is it very hard? Yeah, it's difficult to swallow this. It is. Because these people will never inherit it. So, wait a minute, time out. So when the master is, is talking in the beginning of this, right here, he says, go into the country lanes behind the hedges. If Luke records it in 14, Matthew records it in 28. And it's just a little bit different. In Matthew it says, go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just a little bit different. This one just has kind of my text. It goes, yep, go to the, go to the bushes and the woods and the people that live wherever they live. A seminary professor named Dr. Hathaway in seminary in Midwestern. Get in his entire life to missions in Northern Africa full of civil war, unreached people groups of less than 1%. And he himself with, with his team had helped start over 20, or no, not 20, over 200 churches in his lifetime. And he was going to do it for the rest of his life. They had a baby. She's never spoken a word. She's 11 years old and she's in a wheelchair. She will never talk probably. Could not have, they did not have the medicine in Africa, so they were forced to move back. Now, you talk about being upset here. So I, I asked Dr. Hathaway, well, I got to have breakfast with him. I wasn't an on campus student, but I got to have breakfast with him, and I said, Share with me what this is about. He said, It's one of the biggest blessings of my entire life. What? I said, What? You have, a, you have a daughter that you can't communicate with. How hard is this? He goes, Oh. He said, That allows me to teach at seminary. He goes, I'm going to teach you. This is crazy. <laughs> he goes, I can't go over to Africa as often. But now what I do is globally on the internet and in the classroom, I teach kids to do what I did and they can go places that I'll never be able to go. That is what this means right here. Selfless, humble giving. The man didn't get up and say, look how many churches I've started. He didn't do that. Only upon asking and what God had done in his life did that come out. So look at this. Look at your last blank in the worship handout. If we do not share the love of Jesus with the sick, who will? God's love for us should compel. You heard in that video that, you, that the master said that they should, they should go and gather people and, and make them come. God has given you a chance and a choice to choose Him or not. This word compel is not to go grab people and drag them into church. But I will tell you that I've met quite a few guys, just because it's guys, I have, I have quite a few guy friends that were compelled to come to church because there were some cute girls in the youth group and there was pizza that night. But what happened is they didn't meet a girl or pizza. They met Jesus Christ and their life was changed. See, we have the doctor inside us. There's sick people everywhere. Where to go? Here, in Mount Vernon, Wayne City, Woodlawn, wherever you live, 
Wherever you normally go to church, there's people that are sick. We have to go. Who's going to tell them? And I wrote this down. Someone told you about Jesus Christ. You can think of that person probably right now. If you have a relationship with Christ, you remember that one person that was pretty pivotal in that, in that, in that time. Here's a challenge. Someone told you about Christ. Will you be that someone to someone else? Don't quit the cycle. Don't break it. We have to go. There's going to be a big party one day, and then nothing on this earth will even matter. Nothing. We have the offerings. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I thought. You get. You guys know how to give. <laughs> some of you, some of you, I think, just like, man, judging by this thing, is it? Some of you like save up quarters. They like ransack your change thing in your truck before you come in. Maybe. Um, let's see, Myrna and uh, Brittany Seidel. There's uh, 220, I'll get the paper in a second, $223, it's a lot of nickels, dimes, and quarters, Two twenty-three seventy-three. They're going to take this money out. These two ladies are going to take that money out and they're going to seek people. This is not, this is not hard. However, if you've ever done this, it is very difficult sometimes to give it away because people think there's a catch. It's a bag of money. Okay, I parked over here. If you feel the need, well, uh, no problem. I'll take it. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but people think that there's, there's, there's a catch. There's a hook. All it is is here, our church just wants to tell you that we love you. And we pray that this money makes a difference in your life. We've even had somebody say, I'm going to take half of this and I'm going to give half of it away. Guess what? We get to give three bags instead of two bags because they doubled theirs. Okay? We have to go. Guys, it's been great worshiping with you. Bow with me for prayer. God, we thank you so much for songs that teach us, God, in Bible Scripture that challenges us so much. Thank you, God, for the, the people that were in my life that were the somebodies. God, mold me into that person to be other people, somebody that shares with them about the gospel. God, that we don't quit. That we go into our places of work that have sick people wherever they are. God, that we just be a light to them for you. God, that no one, may, that, no one that we know or no one in our family will miss out on this feast. This eternal, unbelievable worship party that we're going to have in heaven. God, there's still room. And it doesn't matter what those people have done. You just say, come and I'll fix you. Thank you, God for putting our pieces back together. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.